Good morning, my name is Dennis Gardner. I serve as one of the pastors at Terra Nova Church. Uh, speaking on behalf of Terra Nova Church, uh, we're very glad that you're here today. Whether you are part of Terra Nova or part of another church or maybe you just heard the music and simply stopped by to see what was going on, welcome to this time and this place. We believe in the sovereignty of God and that he ordains times and he ordains places in the lives of his creation and his people. So we are here for a reason. Um, it's appropriate that we are outside today because I have a soapbox that I'm going to stand on for a few minutes. Um, maybe it's just a pet peeve, but and if you've been around Terra long enough, you might remember this one of the handful of times that you know while leading worship, I might have alluded to this particular ob observation probably around Christmas time. But it's that familiarity can very often rob something of its power and its beauty and its meaning. Um, I don't think it'd be a stretch on my part to, to assume that everybody here has experienced this in one way or another. Some examples are um, if you have a favorite food or a favorite drink, it's not going to be your favorite food and drink very long if that's the only thing you eat and drink all the time. Or, or the very concept of um, a song being overplayed, right? Or hearing a song, well, that's just dated. It, it's pretty illogical that that would somehow affect the song. Um, or maybe if you live in a beautiful environment, as we actually kind of do, the view outside your window can become the norm. And, and we can lose our awe about things uh, unless we mindfully decide to stop and appreciate the beauty that's around us. And I'm sure this phenomenon has already has a legitimate scientific designation and it's been studied and published and you know, we've looked at the physiological and the neurological and the psychological explanations of what it is. But the fact remains that special things can become commonplace and often that thing doesn't change, the food or the landscape or the work of art, but strangely our perception does. And in my growing up in the church, I've seen this phenomenon play out with the very word of God. And I've been guilty of it myself, of letting things become commonplace. Like, for instance, John 3.16 seems to be more associated with people with uh, rainbow wigs and cardboard signs at sports ball games as opposed to it being the ultra-concentrated good news of Jesus in a single sentence. So the last time I preached, I mentioned the importance of revisiting parts of our scriptural-based beliefs that we assume that we have figured out. And this is going to apply today, because today we're going to be talking about Psalm 23, a psalm the commentators have described as perhaps the most popular chapter in all of the Old Testament. When I was uh, when I was about ten years old and in a, in a kids' club at church for boys, um, I was made to memorize the twenty-third psalm. I wasn't made. I memorized the twenty-third psalm. Um, yeah, I was about ten years old. I've forgotten a lot of things in my life. I've never forgot the twenty-third psalm. Watch. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want to make me lie down the green pastures, leading me sons to the waters, he was struck by soul, leading me past righteous, for his name's sake, he thou walked to valley, he shall not thou feel the wheel of thou walk, and creep me. The Lord has set the covenant of parents, there before him, present by enemies, I know I started with God, word of cover. Surely God has embraced the covenant, the old days of my life, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord, my power, amen. There it is, right? It just, it, that was a blues traveler arrangement, I'm sure King David, I'm sure King David had it a little more slowly and a little methodically. Um, but if you notice today on your paper handout, 
Um, the psalm that we're going to be reading today is from a different Bible translation than we usually use. We're going to be utilizing, for the psalm itself, the New Living Translation this Sunday. We're going to do that for a couple reasons. Uh, one, after some novice level study of some of the Hebrew words in this psalm, I found that the New Living Translation conveys the message of this psalm really well. And I also purposely wanted to have us read this psalm in a way that is a little less familiar to us that know this psalm so well, thereby driving the message of this home. So, um, if you look at your guide page, or if you need or want a Bible, there are Bibles right there at that table. Just feel free to go grab one. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. But it'll be good to have a Bible today because, as Pastor Rob said, we don't have a big screen with anything written on it. Let's read Psalm 23 in New Living Translation. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You are close to me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, and excuse me, live in the house of the Lord forever. See how that happened? So if I started to recite Psalm 23, to the average Jane or Joe on the street, what do you think they're going to connect those words to? Anybody? Well, I thought we'd be screaming out. This psalm is very popular at funerals. Largely popular at funerals, both Christian and Jewish. Why is it popular at funerals? Well, if you look at what we just read uh, on, on, on a surface level, it's, it's an easy answer because of its immense themes of comfort. Right? Especially with phrasing like, in the valley of the shadow of death, or dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are hopefully, ideally, used um, in funerals directed at the bereaved. Because the more we're going to delve into Psalm 23, it seems like a strange choice for funerals. Unless it's very, made very clear that Psalm 23 is overwhelmingly about life. All the promises, most of the promises in this psalm are not for the next life, it's for this life. And moreover, the psalm is largely for the believer. It's largely for those who consider and accept God as Father, Son, and Spirit as their shepherd. The first line, the Lord is my shepherd. So Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, the sweetest word of the whole song is that monosyllable, my. He does not say, the Lord is the shepherd of the world at large, but the Lord is my shepherd. If he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me. He cares for me. He watches over me. He preserves me. And the words are in the present tense. But it's not just for the believer. For the unbeliever or the future believer, uh, it's a very clear, very poetic snapshot of who God is some of his overwhelming attributes and a subtle or not so subtle foreshadowing 
of Jesus. So today's main idea, which you'll also find in your handout, is that God shepherds his people by guiding them with protective correction for his and for their glorification. So if you read that, you'll see that this is where we already start to divert from the comfort emphasis that you would have at the funeral reading. Because the actual comfort in this psalm comes from the admission by us as sheep that we need our shepherd. We need to be led. We need guidance. And we need to be in submission to God. So we're going to look at the psalm, and we're going to see in the psalm three ways in which God fulfills his function as shepherd in Psalm 23. He does that by his leading, or his guiding, or his directing. He does it by protecting, which also includes correction and discipline. And then he does it by providing, which includes giving and restoring and anointing and sacrifice. And that's quite a list for just a, a short six verse song. So let's get into it. How God leads us. Verse two says, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Now, I, I'm gonna be giving some insights throughout this time about actual sheep and actual shepherds. I gleaned all of that from a little book called uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by W. Philip Keller. It's actually a classic, so it's a short book if you feel like reading that. Uh, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. But in regard to him letting us rest or making us lie down, we have to recognize that for sheep, as well as for humans, to truly, truly be at rest and have a to have an authentic sense of that requires freedom from fear, freedom from nervousness, freedom from aggravations, freedom from hunger. Because a flock that is restless and discontented and agitated and disturbed is not going to do well. And it's the shepherd alone that makes it possible for the true rest of the sheep. Only the shepherd can provide the environment in which motorcycles drive past really loudly. Only the shepherd can, can give you the environment in where we're truly released from our anxieties. And that, that author, Mr. Keller, said this, In the Christian's life, there is no substitute for the keen awareness that our shepherd is nearby. There's nothing like Christ's presence to dispel the fear and the panic and the terror of the unknown. Are we mindful? Are we, are, throughout our days, are we really mindful of our need of that? It goes on to say, he leads me besides peaceful streams, or, or in, in the other version it says, besides still waters. It's not hard when you read scripture, to see that water is used as a metaphor, as a thing that provides spiritual life, right? The Samaritan woman at the well being the overwhelming example. The idea of drinking or to take something in or to accept is metaphorically to 
believe, which in turn, we believe, and that plays into our closeness to the shepherd. Let me be so bold as to put forward that our metaphorical still waters for us here today, it's right here. It's a whole bunch of them right on the table, right? This is the most practical and trustworthy way to fulfill our need to be led beside the still waters. God also fulfills his shepherding function as protector and as corrector. Verse four says this, even when we walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Or um, said in a little different way, you could say to God, because you are close, protecting me with a rod and a staff, I'm comfortable and without fear. So a shepherd, not just in ancient Middle Eastern times, but even as, as recent as, as now in other countries, will, will very commonly carry two sticks, right? They're fairly universal appendages for the, for the shepherd, and they serve two very different purposes. The rod, the rod is a short wooden club that's often tipped with iron on the end. And it's used for defense against any number of predators, right? Man and beast alike. I find it interesting that David uses the rod in his in this particular song, whereas it could be, one could argue that he famously preferred a sling, but uh, the rod was also sometimes used to, um, you know, bonk a wayward sheep on the head as it was, or maybe it was unruly or something, the rod would get them back into order. But overwhelmingly, the rod was used as a weapon, and it represents power and authority and defense. And the staff, on the other hand, is a longer pole, more associated with the shepherd. It was very long, the shepherd's crook, we all know it, with the, with the curve on the end. And what that was for was directing the sheep. And it was for drawing them back to the fold. And if a sheep got caught in some brambles or thorn bushes, they actually used the crook to get the sheep out, lest they themselves get caught in there. So the, so the staff is a tool, and it's used for care and management and concern and compassion and comfort and guidance for the shepherd as he leads his sheep. Once again, we, we, we look at, at the metaphor, metaphorical, metaphorical aspects of the psalm, and, and it's easy to say that the rod for us is this, right? I thought this was still waters. Oh, is it, is it defensive power and still waters? Yes, yes it is. Jesus used it in the uh, wilderness against Satan. And God's staff, God's staff is his Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God conveys the mind of Christ. By definition, the Holy Spirit comforts and guides. So when we read that I find comfort in a rod and staff, it's such a beautiful picture of that finding comfort in something that protects us and guides us. But what are we protected from? Well, the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death. Now the person hearing Psalm 23 probably at a funeral is likely that relating this to physical death. But Psalm 23, again, is present tense. The dark valley is a place of temptation to sin. 
That's what our dark valley is. It's an ever-present, earthbound danger to our sanctification, where our spiritual enemy prowls. But our shepherd's rod and our shepherd's staff protect us. Amen? God fulfills his shepherding function as a provider, as seen in Psalm 23. Verse 1 says, I have all that I need. Excuse me, verse 1 says, oh, I have all that I need. Verse 3 says, he renews my strength. Verse 5, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. So, a, a little history searching. Apparently, ancient Middle Eastern banquets, it was a courtesy for the host to anoint their guests with perfumed oil. And throughout scripture, we see that oil and wine represent wealth and abundance. And this is a clear example of the level of care and sacrifice that God pours out on those that he cares for with provision and abundance. And one historical commentator made mention that ancient Middle Eastern banquets, this is a little weird, onlookers were permitted to witness the festivities. So outside of the banquet, people would stand around and watch. And, and the commentator said that, that in the presence of enemies line was regarding those onlookers looking at the festivities with envy. Now, I could be wrong. I'm likely wrong. I'm not a published scholar. Um, but personally, I, I think the addition of envy in that picture seems a little out of place in the whole psalm. I, honestly, I think it's more likely that the in the presence of mine enemies is simply that the sheep, God's people, are so utterly confident in their position of safety and security, protection and correction, leading and guidance, that even if the enemy is just on the other side of a fence, I fear no evil. That is a level of confidence in the shepherd that we can have. And so we look at we look at the, the psalm through this through this lens, uh, you know, to sum up this portion. Then it, it's helpful to remember, as we move on, that the sheep are utterly defenseless and totally dependent on the shepherd. The shepherd patiently endures all the grave dangers for the welfare of his flock. In fact, shepherds were frequently subject to the danger themselves sometimes even giving their lives to protect their sheep. Foreshadowing, okay? So up until now, our correlations with Psalm 23 have largely been focused on what King David was conveying with his poetic imagery, as it was relating to Adonai and, and the God of Israel. But the Psalm, even though it's not specifically messianic, it doesn't speak of the Messiah, it's hard not to find overtones of New Testament Christian faith here. Not hard at all, because Jesus himself, famously, used the shepherd imagery not just as a way of proclaiming his divinity, to say, I am the good shepherd, but to show that how he, as the son, fulfills that function of the good shepherd. So we're going to run down the same thing. We saw how God fulfills the function of the shepherd. We're going to see how Jesus fulfills the function of a shepherd. So we're going to go down that same road uh, of how he leads and how he protects, and how he provides. We're going to find a lot of this in the first part of John chapter 10. 
and we're going to find a lot of it in the latter part of Romans chapter 8, which is a wonderful New Testament equivalent of the 23rd Psalm. And then we'll do this a little different too. Rather than break up the passage by category, I'm just going to read these two passages and simply point out how our Savior Jesus leads and protects and provides. So if you have a Bible with you, again, we don't have a screen, um, open it up to John chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, this is Jesus speaking, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. Here we're going to see Christ's leading. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. A clear picture of Christ leading us. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now as we go into verse 10, we see Jesus providing for his people. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He provides for us. Now we see how he protects us. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ protects us. In fact, let me read verses 14 and 15 again, and it's this, this time through the lens of providing. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He provides us with his very life verse 16 and I have other sheep that are not in this fold I must bring them also they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again this charge I have received from my father there it is there is the ultimate provision from Christ. He sacrifices life for his sheep. So now turn your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read a few verses from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. And again, we're going to look for leading, providing, protecting. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
protecting, right? Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are with me. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. There we go. Our justification is provided by Jesus, our shepherd. Verse 34, who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who interceded, who indeed is interceding for us. Present tense. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sore? Right, right there, clear. There is his rod protecting us. But let me read that again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? There's his staff leading us. And we have ultimate trust in our shepherd, in our helplessness. Continuing on, verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. Are we regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here's the trifecta, leading, protecting, providing. For I am sure, protection, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, protection, will be able to separate us, he leads, from the love of God provided in Jesus Christ our Lord. There it is, Psalm 23, right there in the New Testament. And so let me jump back now, real quick, back to the Psalm. Back to Psalm 23. We're going to start with, we're going to spend the rest of our time in verse 6. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, the plan of salvation is embedded in Psalm 23. The people who are the object of God's brand of protection and provision and guidance. That's assured in this psalm, especially in this verse, are the Christians, are those who proclaim Christ. Here we go, one, Jesus Christ gave himself and he gives eternal life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I give them eternal life. They will not perish. When Jesus hung on the cross in agony, he took on the sin of the world. He chose to suffer and to die for us. For me, the Lord is my shepherd. And if Christ is your shepherd, that precious, unearned gift of forgiveness from sin and eternal life is already yours freely given, in love, by the shepherd, and freely received by his sheep. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love, his sacrifice is seen through his goodness and his unfailing love. I shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. We're justified by Christ's act of goodness and unfailing love. Number two. Jesus knows you completely. Just as the shepherd. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. Now, there's going to be times, or there may be times, where you're just a mystery to yourself. But you're never a mystery to Christ. He is able to lead you, and he is able to effectively give you what you need because he knows you completely. Verse 6, surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. We're sanctified in our walk with him as he pursues us all the days of our life. Number three, Jesus guards you and will keep you forever. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Can what is yours in Christ be taken away? The sheep are in his hand. There's comfort. There is so much comfort in that knowledge, in that truth. Surely, your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. God will bestow glory upon his sheep, in part here, and then when the believer lives in the house of the Lord forever with him. I'm going to invite the musicians back up. Are these things true of you? I mean, again, Psalm 23 is, is, is a very familiar passage. But when we look at it through the lens of Christ, I, I ask, are these true of you? Is the Lord your shepherd? If he's not, he can be. Uh, usually in our services, we have a time uh, set aside for anybody who wants to pray. And today is no different. Uh, we decided that, that that little ramp area over there in the shade, right directly after service, right up in that little ramp, there'll be people that are ready to pray for you. And if he is your shepherd, and you have confidence and comfort in the fact that he's your shepherd, well, you're welcome to celebrate communion with us now. So it's... We call it communion, we use the word sacrament, sacrament a lot. Another way is, we call it as the Lord's Supper. Right? Jesus prepared a table before us while we were still in the dark valley, in the middle of it, in the presence of enemies. This meal calls us to rejoice in the midst of the dark valley, in the midst of our troubles. And as we worship at this table, right, let us remember Keep in mind our good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The only shepherd who knows what it is to be a sheep, by the way. And we show forth in the assembly of onlookers the Lord's death until he comes. Amen?